Well, I've got a pretty interesting uh, subject here for us to consider this morning. And uh, we have been looking at all of the re's in the Bible. And this one this morning uh, we're going to look at is uh, remember and uh, what it means to remember uh, what the Lord says about remembrance, what, uh, what God's word has to say about it. There we go. All right. Awesome. So, have you ever forgotten something? <laughs> possibly um, your keys, possibly um, the anniversary, yeah. Um, hopefully not the kids. Um, I remember um, there was a time, this was early on in our marriage, um, we were, of course, ministering at uh, Grace there in Urbana. And I was so focused on the day of what was going. It was a, we were having a big day there, and there were so many things that I was remembering that I had to get done, things I had to put into place. And I went to Sunday school, was teaching Sunday school, and we started Sunday school at 9.45, and it was about 10.15, 10.20. All of a sudden, a light bulb came on my head, something that I had forgotten to do. I forgot my wife at home. <laughs> so what do you do? I mean, do you stop Sunday school and say, I better go get my wife? No. Just went ahead to 1030. Luckily, luckily, we just live right down the road. I mean, like two or three minutes away. So I just got in the car, zoomed over, picked her up, and then went back to church. But yeah. Pretty bad. <laughs> you know, our memories service, they serve as a well of information for us. Um, it helps us record joyful events. Sometimes it causes us to remember painful things that has happened in our lives. It serves as a, as a function for short and long-term storage. I read this, and it says that our brains are capable of storing 2.5 petabytes of data. That's 2,500,000 gigabytes. If some of you don't know what that is, it's 300 years of television. That is what our brains are capable of remembering. In fact, scientists have discovered that memories start forming in the womb as early as four months into pregnancy. Experiments have shown that babies have, can remember familiar sounds if music is played. Uh, when that uh, child is in the womb, that child can recognize certain sounds and things like that. Our brains are so fascinating that there is no single place where a given memory lives in the brain. It's not like this part is the memory and stuff like that. Our brain encompasses all of our memories. It's just a large map that everything is stored in there. So we've been looking at these different words about re, and so we're going to look at that word remember. You know, God's word has a lot to say about remembering certain things. Now, I really don't necessarily have a particular text for you this morning, but I did find in the Bible 205 times that word remember. So I have 205 points. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to focus on a few of them that I think are important uh, for us to look at here this morning. 
So we're going to look at some of these things that uh, God's Word has to say that are important for us to remember. You know, as we've been starting this new year, uh, there's probably been some things that has happened in the past year. Some things that you want to completely forget about. Uh, maybe that could be relationships, that could be uh, events, uh, who knows. You just do not want to bring them into your memory anymore. But I do find that throughout God's word, there are some things that are important for us to remember and to remember constantly. Because God always wants to have those as a forefront in us because when we remember those things, it causes us to turn our attention not on the circumstances, but turn our focus and attention to Jesus Christ. So we're going to look at a few of those things uh, that we're going to see that what we need to remember. So we'll look at some several different Bible passages, but let's take a look here at the first one here. All right, and I'm going to give a few verses to build on this, and then we'll look at what we need to remember. So let's look at the first one here, Romans 5.8. The Bible says this, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a very common, well-known Bible passage that I hope that all of us would remember that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So here's something to look at this. Us. What does that mean? Well, my selfishness and sin, my darkness, selfishness, chaos, and dysfunction. Everything that encompasses my life is summed up in that. Selfishness, dysfunction, chaos, darkness, and sin. That is our life in a nutshell. And the Bible says here, but God demonstrates his own love for us. God demonstrates, he puts on display, he showcased his love for our selfishness, for our sin, for our dysfunction and chaos. God displayed that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this tells me that me, Mike Bird, or even you, you can put yourself in that uh, same situation, that God's love for us, God had love for our selfishness. God had love for our chaos. God had love for our dysfunction. God had love for the sin and darkness that ruled in our lives. You know, I don't know about you, but in my relationships with people, we want to make sure that things are okay. Though it seems like the more times that we find out information about people, that we find things that are just like, oh, that's a little weird, we kind of start to distance ourselves from those people. But yet God does just the opposite of that. Because he knows what is in our hearts, he knows exactly what we are. And because of the chaos and the dysfunction in our lives, instead of God distancing himself from us, he pursues after us so much more. So us. Then we find here Christ. Sacrificial love, dying on the cross, displaying love, healing and wholeness. So I want you to put those two things together. 
But God demonstrates his love for my selfishness by giving sacrificial love. God demonstrates his love for my sin by dying on the cross. God demonstrates his love for my darkness, my chaos, and my dysfunction by giving healing and wholeness. So while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this verse really reveals to us the seriousness of our sin. While I was doing X sin, what did Jesus do? He died. He displayed his love for us. So really, when we look at this, God's love to me is what saves me. God's love to you is what saved you. So in the fact that I was yet a sinner, condemned, a sinner that was dysfunctional, a sinner that was in darkness and in sin and, and chaos ruled and reigned in my entire life, God yet still died for me. And yet he still died for us. So God displayed his love for us by saving us through Jesus Christ. Now you say, Mike, yeah, I know that. <laughs> Come on. This is, this is like kindergarten here, okay? But yet, why is it then that throughout all of God's word, it's a constant reminder? I mean, even Paul himself throughout his epistles, he constantly reminds us about the love that we have in Jesus Christ. He constantly reminds us about the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. I think that's interesting. Because God does want us to remember his love for us. So that leads us to this point then. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and that is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God... Not by works so that no one can boast. Would you agree that salvation is a gift? Yes or no? Yes, yes absolutely. Okay. Salvation is a gift. It cannot be bought. It cannot be earned or paid for. You can't be born into it or you can work for it. It's an impossibility. Salvation is a complete and total free gift that comes through faith. So then why is it when we talk about God's love, Christ's sacrifice for us, we forget that. You say, what do you mean? Let me give you something to think about. Well, grace is unmerited favor. You and I cannot earn God's favor. There's nothing that you or I could ever do that would make God like me less or like me more. It's, a, it's unmerited favor. I was so amazed when... Uh, Evelyn was born you know I was I was thinking to myself how in the world am I going to love this child I mean I don't even know this child how am I going to love this child and then it was like automatically when that when that baby was born it was like God just like crammed a love for Evelyn right into my heart and it was there it was like where did this come I, I love this child And I think so many times in my own life, my relationship with Christ, I'm thinking to myself, 
How in the world can God love me? I mean, remember, chaos, dysfunction, sin, darkness, all those things are in my life. How in the world does God love me? One simple word, grace. It's unmerited favor that God has towards us. So what is so amazing about this unmerited favor that we call grace? Well, remember Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were doing what sin? Jesus did what? He died. So here's something I want you to think about. His love saved you at your worst. At your worst. What was your worst situation that you were in before you came to know Christ as your Savior? I mean, all of us have different stories in here of how the Lord came and he rescued us. But it still comes down to this point, is what it says in the, in the Psalms. It says that he lifted me up out of the miry clay. He set my foot on a rock. He brought me up out of that horrible pit. At our worst, his love saved us. Have you ever had days where you were like, well, that was a bad day. I don't ever want to remember that ever again. Please strike that from my memory. Okay, I have this really weird story to tell you, okay? Um, when I was a youth pastor, we used to do a large outreach for our uh, teenagers in the area, and uh, we called it Neighborhood Bible Time, and we invite teenagers to come. We had a, uh, it was kind of a week-long program. We had uh, some uh, games, and we fed them and stuff like that. Well, I remember there was this one time that one of the meals that we were going to have was chicken. It was fried chicken. And uh, so I had eaten a couple pieces of chicken. And man, I was feeling terrible. I mean, terrible, terrible, terrible that evening. And our uh, thing was scheduled for that evening to have our outreach thing. And it was probably around, I don't know, 5 o'clock or so. And, man, I was getting sick to my stomach. Oh, something awful, something awful. And I got so sick, and I vomited so bad. I mean, it was like coming out my nose. It was that bad. And it was like, I never want to remember this ever, ever, ever again. If that ever happens to me ever again... I don't want to be there. <laughs> but I didn't want to remember. That was a very, very bad day for me. Now, I don't know if those were bad days for you or not. But either way, it was a bad day. And that was, that was a worse, that was a very horrible day for me. But you know what? Much more than just getting sick and things like that. At my worst, when I was without Christ... And I realized my sinful state before God, and I realized how horrible and how filthy and how disgusting I was in his sight. I was amazed that Jesus turned to me and said, I'll take you just as you are, and I will save you. And so his love saved us at our worst. Here's another thing I want to give you to build upon this. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. We're getting there. I'm just putting all these things together here. 
Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes? Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have we forgotten? Sadly, Peter here in the church of Galatia had been preaching something else other than God's love. He says, oh yeah, it's good for you to, to trust Christ as your Savior, and it's good to, to start doing that, but now you need to do these extra things here in order to continue in God's love. Have you forgotten? Have I forgotten? We're talking about God's love. We're talking about his love that saved us. We're talking about that he saved us even when we were in our worst state. God wants us to remember his love. So this is a tragedy that plays out in all of our lives. When we forget about his love that saved us at our worst. So here's what happens, okay? Number one, we need to remember his love. Remember his love. And this is something that I believe that all of us, when we forget about his love, we forget about our state that we were as a lost, hopeless sinner before Christ and his love saved us, we fall into this trap. And here it is. When I do stuff that is bad, that means that God loves me less. When I do stuff that is bad, that means that God loves me less. When I forget that Christ loved me enough to save me as I was, then I start falling into this trap of when I do stuff that is bad, that means that God doesn't love me. Or, flip side of this, when I do stuff that is good, that means that God loves me more. So you just fill in the blank. When I do this, when I do that, when I do this, when I participate in this, boy, God really loves me a whole lot because look at me, wow. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible trap to fall into. That was how the believers at the church in Galatia were living. Notice Paul's argument here. I love this. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, I don't know if some of these people at Galatia had seen the crucified Christ. But nonetheless, he was preached to them that he was crucified. And is that not how the gospel works its power? That we hear the preaching of the message of the, of the cross of Jesus Christ, we hear about his love and we hear about his grace, and we hear about that we need to repent from our sins and turn to Christ. The message of salvation is delivered to us, and we receive that message by grace through faith, and we trust Jesus, and he does a radical change in our hearts. And it's not the fact that we behold the, behold the crucified and resurrected Christ, 
We didn't see it physically, but we see it in His Word. And He impresses upon our hearts the, the need to trust and receive Him as Savior. Have we forgotten that? Have we forgotten the resurrected and crucified Christ? Remember His love. And notice what Paul says here. He says, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? Or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Have you forgotten? <laughs> After beginning by means of the Spirit, the, the, the wonderful, powerful work of the Holy Spirit in your life, now somehow you have been perfected in such a way that, well, thank you, Jesus, for saving me, but I got this under control now. And continue in doing another means of the flesh. So Paul gives them either a choice here. Did you receive his love by the gift of grace, by works, or by works of the law? Did you have simple belief in Jesus and faith in Christ? Or is it, well, I have faith in Christ, plus I have to do all these extra things here to make sure that God does love me. Remember his love. Don't fall into that trap of when I do bad things, God loves me less. Or when I do good things, God loves me more. Did you start living your life in the love of his grace and the unmerited favor? But now, but now, you are tossing that out the window because it doesn't produce results anymore. And now you're going to finish another way. Romans 8, verses 8 through 38 through 39 says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As believers in Jesus, it is crucial that we remember his love. You know, every month we have communion. And there is bold, inscribed letters here on this table. What does it say? In remembrance of me. And we participate in that. God has given us this, this awesome time, a family time, to come together and to celebrate communion, to remember what? To take a piece of bread and drink some juice? No! To remember his death. To remember his sacrifice, to remember his love that was, that was poured out for us. And we show his death until he comes. And so we remember that. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and you sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So we are to remember his death. We are to remember Christ's love for us. We are to center on his love. We are to center on who he is and his sacrifice for our sins. Do you know that Jesus' sacrifice for our sins was not spawned about 
because of how great or how wonderful or how charming or how lovely or how articulate or how talented or how refined or how obedient or how funny or how religious or even how smart we are. His salvation and his sacrifice was spawned solely on the deep love that he had to rescue ruined sinners like us. I can't, I can't even comprehend why God would choose to do something like that. But he did. So remember his love. Remember his love, and this gives us the momentum to live free in his love and live like loved sons and daughters of the king. So have you forgotten his love? Have you forgotten that it was his grace that saved you in your most horrible state that you were in? Remember his love. Let's look at a second thing here. Look what the Bible says here. We're going to look at another uh, passage of Scripture here. 2 Peter chapter uh, number 1, in verses 13 through 15. Peter says there, this there. Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by the way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Remind, reminder, and recall. So three times in this passage, Peter says, one, for his intentions are always to remind us of the qualities that we have in Christ. You say, well, what qualities do we have in Jesus Christ? Well, let's take a look. Look at verses uh, 3 through 11. Look what the Bible says there. 2 Peter chapter number 1. Now look at verses uh, 3 through 11. Here's the qualities that we have in Jesus. It says this, His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So his intentions are to remind us of the qualities that we are to have in Jesus Christ. But then he also to, he reminds us of these qualities because we have in Christ that the stakes are very high. 
during this time that Peter was writing this letter, everything was great. No, it wasn't. There was persecution and suffering going on in the world. And Peter says, look, I know Jesus has already told me that pretty soon I'm going to die. So Peter knew that there was the stakes were high. There was a lot of intense persecution going on in the world. You know, it's not a matter of if persecution is going to happen to Christians. It's a matter of when. Are you ready for that? Paul says that these Peter says that these qualities need to be in us because the stakes are so high. And thirdly, he reminds us of these qualities so that we may be able to recall them during any time, during times to endure the suffering and persecution that is in our lives that might come. So as believers in Jesus, we are to be building our lives on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Why? Notice verse number four. Look what it says. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Can I tell you the secret to living the Christian life? The secret to living the Christian life, to overcoming sinful passions, sinful desires in your life, is exactly what Peter says here. Adding these things to your Christian life. He says, by this, he says uh, in verse uh, number uh, five here, he says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. And you are to continue to add. So, here's the thing. Why should I be growing, Peter? Because there is sinful passions in our lives that come. There are things that desire to lead us astray in this world. There is going to become intense persecution in our lives. So why should I be growing, Peter? Look at verse number 8. The more that you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what is the end result then of remembering all of these things that Peter's trying to get us to remember? Look at verse number 11. That God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. How many of you have ever been to Disneyland? How many of you never want to go to Disneyland? Okay, great. You know, Disneyland is supposed to be what? They have the slogan, the happiest place on earth, right? I talked to my parents uh, just a while back. Uh, they had went to Disneyland with my brother and their kids and all that kind of stuff. And uh, my dad says, yeah, you know that thing, the happiest place on the earth? Well, I want to tell you, I went to Disneyland and I saw kids screaming, kids yelling, kids crying. He says, it's not the happiest place on earth. But when you walk into Disneyland, it's supposed to be this grand entrance, like, ta-da! Here it is! 
I remember on a uh, trip, a family trip one time, we went to the Grand Canyon. And I think I was in middle school at the time. And it was me, my brother, and my sister. I have an older brother, a younger sister. And we, we drove. We left from uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. We drove uh, through the night, went all the way to the Grand Canyon. We got there. My dad's like, oh, man, they're going to love this. This is going to be the greatest thing ever. And we get out. You know, here we are. We're like. <laughs> my dad says, look at this. And we're like, this is it. So are we going to do anything else? <laughs> Bible says here that you are to be adding these things to your faith. To remember to continue to add them to your faith. Why? So that you may have a grand entrance into the kingdom of heaven. There's going to be much fanfare. I think it's going to be a celebratory type of event when we, when we enter into the kingdom of heaven. What an amazing thing that's going to be. So we are to remind ourselves to remember these things. Notice the list that Peter says that we are to be adding to our faith or growing in our faith. Verses 5 through 7. He says, in view of all of this, in view of, of God's grand scheme that he's, that he's doing in your life, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance. Patient endurance with, with godliness and with godliness, brotherly affection. And with brotherly affection, with love for everyone. But those who fail, he says in verse 9, to develop in this way. If you fail to develop your Christian life, if you, if you fail to say, well, you know what? I'm saved, but, you know, that's, that's all I'm ever going to do with my Christian life, and I'm never going to continue to grow in my Christianity. Look what, look what Peter says. If you fail to develop in this way, you are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So remember to grow in your faith. Because our measure of our faith, our growth, is in direct proportion of our knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord, is what he says in verse number 2. So his divine power in receiving everything we need for faith and life, Jesus freely gives us. He gives us everything that we need to live the Christian life. But if we fail, if we fail to take advantage of it, then we forget and we're not adding to our Christian faith walk in Jesus Christ. We're not developing as mature believers in Jesus. So what should we remind ourselves? What should we remember to do? Well, secondly, remember to grow in faith. I think that is so important as believers in Christ that we constantly remember to be growing in our faith. You say, Mike, well, you know, I've been a Christian for 50 years. Are you growing? Say, Mike, I've, I got saved, you know, back in 1942. Are you growing? That's what's important in your Christian faith. Are you still growing? 
but it's just, I'm so tired. Are you continually growing? We must continue to grow. So remember to grow in your faith. That leads us here to a third point here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In the context of this verse, Paul is giving a remembrance to the day of the Lord of when it's going to happen. He says, don't get all freaked out. Don't get all, all upset or are worried like, oh, here he comes, here he comes. Oh. He says, just remember some things. One of the things that he calls a remembrance to is to rejoice always, to pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. So here, here's another thing that I think that when we forget, we don't remind ourselves, this is what all of us do. Bad circumstances mean that God must not be happy, or I did something to cause this. I got to fix this. Have you ever been there? Seems like, you know, you get the phone call, your boss says this, or the family situation happens, and when you finally get alone, you start going through the process, and you go, now what happened? Why, why, why did that happen? I mean, did I say something? Did did, did I do something? Did this situation take place? What happened that, that has caused this drastic chaos and train wreck in my life? You know what? I bet you it's because I didn't go to church last week. That's got to be it. That's got to be it. And so we start making these assumptions that my bad circumstances mean that God must not be happy or I did something to cause this. And so now I have to fix this. Or, here's the flip side of that. Everything's going swimmingly. I mean, everything's going great. I mean, there's money in the bank. There's food on the table. The kids are not fighting. Hey, man, everything's great. What's going on? Well, God must be happy with me. Finally, I'm doing something right. Things are going my way. Oh, yeah. There's a problem with all of that. Because all of us cannot control our circumstances. You can't control your circumstances. I can't control my circumstances. Now, there are some things that I can control. Like, for example, if I were to go up to Tom and punch him in the nose. I mean, I could be like... <laughs> I mean, I could try to, like, stop, you know, from hitting him. But the things that happen in our day-to-day -day lives, they happen for a reason. They happen for a purpose. And we have no control over those things. So what does God want us to remember? Well, he wants us to do this. Remember all, all circumstances are God's will. Notice the verse again. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if we can't always control is what is happening to us, we can choose how to respond to those circumstances. So in times of desperation, times of need, times of, of great destruction in our life, what are we supposed to be doing? 
rejoicing always, praying continually, and giving thanks in all circumstances. Now, I'm going to throw something out here that may sound kind of weird or crazy. But a horrible circumstance takes place in your life. Your mom gets sick. Dad has cancer. Child dies. Uh, you lose your job. Something horrible happens. Spouse dies. I, I don't know. Does the Bible mean that you're supposed to go, Yay! Thank you, Jesus, for taking my this. No. He's not, he's not saying that we need to be rejoicing in that sense. The key is this, in the latter part of that verse, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I am to remember to rejoice. I am to remember during times when, when all the circumstances in my life are falling apart, that yes, those things are breaking down, there's, there's things that are, that are chaotic, there's, there's times where it just, it's, it's falling apart. It's not the fact that I'm rejoicing because all of that is happening. I am to rejoicing because I am in the center of God's will for my life. And to know that God is in control of the situation and by me turning to him and saying, thank you, Jesus, for being in control of my life, I'm going to offer prayers to you and I'm going to give thanks to you because you are in control. Person that does not know the Lord does not live like that. Person does not, does not know the Lord sees the circumstances and they have a difficult time. When I was ministering there at Grace in Urbana, uh, when I first got there, my wife said, we need to redo your office because it was kind of a hodgepodge of nonsense in there. And one of the things that she wanted to do is she wanted to put some verse uh, art on the wall. I know we have some around here as well. But she put that verse, the just the first part of the verse, on the wall, and it said, Rejoice always. And can I tell you, there were many, many times that I came into that office and I'd see it and I'd be like, Man, yeah, that's cool, man, that looks so neat. But more and more and more, there were many times that God was doing something in my life that I'd look at that verse and I'd say, how am I supposed to rejoice at a time like this? And God was trying to teach me something to remember that he is in control of every circumstance in my life. So that's what we are to be doing. We are to remember that God is in control of all the circumstances in our life and all the circumstances in our life are God's will. Some of you in here have so many stories of hurt. Some of you have stories of, of, of destruction in your life. And things have fallen apart. Can I tell you, remember that all of that was God's will for your life. You say, why? Why, why, why? Why is he doing this? Why is he allowing all these things to come into my life? Because he loves you. 
He allows our hurts. He allows, he allows our lives to be broken for our good. Because he wants us to depend solely upon him. He wants our hearts to turn to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we, we gather together here because we are meeting because we want to remember you. We meet to be encouraged. We meet to be strengthened. We meet to have fellowship one with another. And God, you have brought this body of believers together for a purpose. You have brought this body of believers together for something. And that's to testify, that's to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that all of us in here, that we would remember your love for us, that we will remember the sacrifice that you gave in that while we were yet a sinner, the worst state that we could possibly be in, you gave your son Jesus to die for us. And God, I pray that all of us will remember to continue to grow in our faith. Help us not stop. Help us to continue. Please, Lord, help us to remember the circumstance, every circumstance in our life you bring about because you love us. Help us to trust and depend upon you and help us to turn to you in times of trouble and, Father, even in times of rejoicing. <laughs> 